Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day two of the 7 a.m. Novelist March March Writing Challenge. Uh, to begin again, that's what we're really doing. Uh, you might have listened yesterday when we talked about the idea of to begin again. If you missed it, uh, you can again find it on our Substack channel. I do recommend that discussion a lot. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we have authors Allison Amond and Shilpi Sunesha uh, talking to us about the trials and triumphs of trying to represent a place in their writing. I know a lot of writers are trying to do this. For Allison and Shilpi, they're particularly going to talk to us about the Galapagos and India. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on our show. Allison Amon debuted uh, her short story collection, Things That Pass for Love, won a Bronze Independent Publishers Award. Stations West, a historical novel, was published by Louisiana State University Press and was a finalist for the Sammy War Prize for Jewish Literature and the Oklahoma Book Award. Nan Talese Doubleday published her most recent novels, A Nearly Perfect Copy and Enchanted Islands. Allison lives in New York City, where she teaches Creative Writing at Lehman College in the Bronx and at the Red Earth MFA. Shupi Sunesha was born in India. Her work has been published in Guernica, McSweeney's, Cognacetti, Teachers and Writers Magazine, and the, Ma- and the Michigan Quarterly Review, among others. Her writing has been supported by a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Foundation, a Massachusetts Cultural Council Fellowship, and a Grub Street Novel Incubator Scholarship. Yes, Shilpi is one of ours, and we are very, very proud to have her had her in our program. Uh, she holds an uh, MA in English with um, from New York University and MFA in Creative Writing from Boston University, where she was awarded the Saul Bellow Prize. Her first novel, House of Caravans, will be published in September of 2023. Congratulations, Shilpi. And Shilpi just had a baby two weeks ago, so I don't even understand how she's surviving. I, I don't even know how she's walking around, but she's with us. <laughs> Yeah, neither Allison and I are, are into the, the child thing. So Shilpi is, has got us beat 100%. Okay. Allison, why don't you start us off? You wrote your book, Enchanted Islands, about the Galapagos. What were some of the issues that you ran into, the things that you had to think about as you're writing that book? Yeah, just thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, one of the, um, just to give a little background on it, um, my very first novel was about Oklahoma in the 19th century. Right. And I learned very quickly that you end up spending a lot of time in the place that you are writing your novel. Um, and while Oklahoma is a lovely place, I thought there might be a more interesting or uh, better food-oriented place for me to spend Uh some time. So my next book was set in Paris, right? Nice, Um, yes. Yeah, so, and then I was sort of thinking about where else um, I wanted to set a book. And um, I had visited the Galapagos with with my parents when I was a teenager and really, really loved it and found it incredibly intriguing. Um, And so decided to set a book there. And one of the things that, you know, we all were talking about before the podcast started was that, um, you know, I'm not from the Galapagos. Very few people are. There's no indigenous population there, but it's part of Ecuador. Um, and um, I found that my way into writing that was that I could um, do research about the place and I wasn't, you know, to stepping on any any toes, right? So um, I wasn't appropriating a place that was not mine. Um, I have also written again about Oklahoma. And I've found, you know, that while I'm an American, Oklahoma is America, that it is um, important to tread carefully when you are writing about a place that you are not native to, um, because you want to make sure, first of all, that you get all the details right. And second of all, that if you're doing any um, 
criticism of it, that it be fair and that you make it clear that it comes from the character and the narrator and not from the author. You can't, right. appropriate, you can't, you can't go to a place and then talk crap about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and Shopi, so you were actually writing about a place that you've known quite well in your novel, um, your upcoming novel. So can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So for sure, having grown up in India, you know, it's a, it's my childhood home. Um, so, but then accessing it from a place of nostalgia was interesting because, you know, that gap of not having seen the place, you kind of romanticize it, which is nice. It, you know, allows you to write beautiful sentences. Um, but then there's also criticism, kind of what Alison was hinting at. And when the place is yours, you kind of do feel entitled to criticize it and you grow up with that criticism right. right like you grow up with that third world kind of long list laundry list of complaints that you hear your grandparents and your parents kind of do so you access that as well so a combination of romanticizing the place as well as um you know criticizing it and criticism is a is a way of belonging for sure you know it's you feel entitled right. to criticizing something that you've known for a long time that has formed you and you know you're part of it um but my novel is also part historical fiction so I did a good bit of research as well to kind of have the criticism and the romanticism come from a place of scholarship and not just you know something that I made up I mean it's both so you kind of have to do a balance of both so yeah and the way you work in the history is just so um mesmerizing it's just it's such an exciting book I just love it um Allison so how did you go about your research um so I I so first of all I read there were there's three or four memoirs of the time that I was um um uh researching which is the 1930s in the Galapagos so I, I read those um and I thought that and I made sort of very copious notes about you know, like flora and fauna, really, more than any sort of, um, um, and, and so I thought that was a really great way to also get me away from having to read like naturalist books about the place. Um, and then I went there, which was fantastic. And um, I, um, this is totally typical me, but um, I, I was on, my brother lives in Hawaii, and I had taken his kid to a playground in Hawaii, and somebody was speaking Spanish there, and I speak Spanish, which is just sort of odd for Hawaii, so I started chatting with her, and her baby daddy was from the Galapagos, and so I went and stayed with the former partner of a person I met on a playground um, for a couple of days, which in hindsight might not have been the best idea, but um, it was actually great to spend some time with people who lived on the island. Um, and then I went to the, the island that my um, novel was sent, set on, and um, my characters themselves lived there in the 30s. There were like five other people there. Now there's a population of a couple hundred. They have electricity for some hours of the day. Um, and my character lasted about six years. I lasted a day and a half um at which point I <laughs> could not hack it anymore the, really? got on a boat and came back to the bigger city um you got island fever I got island fever yeah so I th but I think that the experience of being there and feeling that gave yeah. me access to write about it in a way that just imagining that like the the kind of isolation fear heat um, you know, uh, would not, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do. So that was sort of how I did a lot of my research there. And then I, you know, while I'm there, I, I talk all the time. So I made a bunch of, you know, 
talked to a bunch of people. They have email there. So I would email back and forth with people I met there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, I, I find, um, I usually encourage people to go to the places that they're writing about to get the sense of the air, the smells, the just everything, everything that you can't really, um, feel or touch if you just do like a Google maps, like overview, <laughs> overview of the place. Um, <clears throat> and then it's also interesting because sometimes if you, I don't know, you might've had this, um, Shilpi, since you since you know India so well, you might have had to come back to Cambridge and where you live now and and um, get away from it a little bit to be able to write about it. Was that your experience? Uh, for sure, yes. Yeah. So just have not having been there for a long time. Um, yeah. And there's all these politics of belonging, like when you leave India, you know, you leave that sense of authenticity, which I think is is fine. You don't have to always claim authenticity and what in what anyway is authenticity, right? Like right. um so having that distance and having a fresh perspective, I think helped me. Um and I accessed history books that and an in, interesting combination of books that I think gave me a more fresh perspective. For example, I wrote about two very prominent cities um, these have been urban spaces for millennia. One of them is Lahore, which is actually in Pakistan now. Um, and I read books about the architecture, the built environment. I worked with a histor an historian um, in order to do that kind of research. I looked at census data, maps. So um, that kind of deep research kind of gave me a, a fresher perspective, I feel like that I was able to construct stories that are not simply based on, um, you know, stories that people tell, but are actually historical facts and interesting um, angles of looking at, um, you know, cash flow, for example, or um, the different types of uh, occupations that people have in the early 20th century, for example. So things change a lot in cityscapes, right? And that was kind of what I was writing about. I'm writing about partition, which is the greatest mass migration of um, of our times um, and cities emptied out and filled up overnight. Um, so that kind of transformation, you know, is captured in history books. And I was just trying to write about it in, from a fictional angle. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because both you not only you writing about different places, but you're writing about them in the historical context. So no matter how well you might know the place, it's still going to require a lot of research and it's still going to be a different place. And you still have to think about, well, how do I represent this and how do I represent the people there? Yeah. Um, even though I think I know it. There's um, some good yeah. questions in the chat, too, about yeah. that. Um, yeah. I was going to go to Susan's question first, Allison. I think it was, it was to you first. Um, so she's going off your thought. She says, can you... Can your characters misunderstand, speak negatively about another culture? So you seem to say that. And she said, I find this difficult. I've written a fictional story told to me by an indigenous person, but still worry that even creating a character outside my culture plays background. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's a very excellent question. And it's an, it's not an easy topic to navigate, especially, you know, these days as we're having increasing awareness of the ways in which, you know, uh, cultures have been appropriated by, um, by other people. Um, and I think, Obviously, um, and I think there's there's a bit of a conundrum in the sense that like you don't want to misrepresent someone from a culture not your own, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you if you avoid that by not including anybody, um, then you are perpetuating the same sort of absence of of character that has been that's you know sort of a small violence this whole this whole publishing time, right? 
Um, and, and I'm not sure exactly how to navigate that, but um, I think one of the things to do is to, um, these are some ideas I've had, which is to um, make it very clear that the narrator is not the author, right? And I think Toni Morrison has some excellent essays on this, um, the title of which I can't remember, of course, at the moment, but of how to write the other in a way that is um, helpful and and um, and nuanced and sensitive, right? And I think another thing too that I think both you know that I've always felt was important was if you if you write about it historically, right, then you are not necessarily appropriating anyone's appropriating anyone's lived experience. Um, and I think that can be sort of a mode of entry there too. But um, I think it's you know I have a student who's writing a, a novel from the point of view of um, Tituba, the, the enslaved woman um, from from Salem, and I think that um, that will be a very difficult thing to navigate. On the other, on one hand, like there's nobody who has who's alive now who has had Tituba's experience. On the other hand, you know it is it, it's not her cultural heritage. Should she be the person to write about it? I don't think there's a there's an easy answer to that. But I would defend every writer's right to try to, I mean, our whole job is empathy, right? So I'm definitely going, I would definitely defend any author's right to try. And I think the important thing is to do it with, with research, nuance, intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and also examining your intentions yeah. in terms of, are your intentions in representing the place pure? Um, what are you really trying to get out of it? What do, what do you, why are you writing about the place to begin with? Um, I, I, I remember, I can't, was it, I can't remember, there was a Boston writer a few years ago that said, well, it seems like a lot of people try to write about the other or the other places because they think it'll help them get published, which is not necessarily, that is not a pure intention, <laughs> or that it'll help them get awards, um, and they'll be lauded for doing so, um, which I think has happened in the past. And what we really want more are, are people from those places and cultures actually writing and, and opening that door and being able to, to get published themselves. Um, uh, and, and then you also want to practice humility. Um, really listen to what other people are saying, if they're giving you feedback at your book. And this I think is very true even after the book is published. And I think that was part of the American Dirt problem. Um, I actually met that author early on and, and what I felt that she really just lacked some humility and, and her Twitter, Twitter bio was was something like, um, I've published a best-selling novel. What about you? You know, it was just this kind of lack of. <laughs> um, I have not published a best-selling novel. So there we go. I know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and and then, so if, if you are writing about another place or another people, you might get it wrong and that's okay. But be open to listening to that instead of getting defensive and try to learn something from that and always be in the process of learning. I think that's really, really important. It, you can grow as a writer and you can actually open up discussions um, about the place and about, about the people um, as long as you just listen and, and you practice that kind of humility. Um, okay, we have another, um, we have a question for Shilpi. Do you ever feel responsibility to provide balance to those criticisms of, of culture of your birth to avoid perpetuating stereotypes? And she says, I feel uh, torn between authenticity for my thoughts and story themes and the power of words over popular perceptions. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a great sort of responsibility there. Um, um, you know, like I grew up reading E.M. Foster, loved uh, Passage to India, despite the fact that it's 
you know, it's scathing. It starts with, you know, this typical description of, you know, middle India, how dusty and awful it is. And pretty much, you know, all that kind of colonial literature follows that trope of, you know, dust, a place of heat and dust. And there's even a novel called Heat and Dust. Um, these are celebrated novels and these are celebrated stereotypes. Right. Um, and as, you know, as a brown writer, as a writer of color, you know, what, what do you bring to the table? How do you displace Foster, despite the fact that you love him to death? Um, I mean, for my novel, like I ended up writing about Anglo-Indians, um, you know, people of mixed race. Um, and I kept going back or it just ended up being that way that, you know, I tried to show the humanity in everyone. Uh, everyone is flawed. Everyone even, you know, the most hated of characters. He's a, a district superintendent of police, for example, um, perpetuated a great massacre. And yet, you know, I try to show the humanity in him. So that kind of gray space is what I access in order to show, um, you know, people are flawed. And yet, you know, what are their motivations and how these motivations link them into um, servicing something as gigantic as colonialism, for example, because you know it's it's a big system. You could pick you could pick any big system like capitalism. We're all embroiled in it, and yet, how do we have these little moments of um, insight where we can um, you know form solidarities and form a system that is different? Um, yeah, and again, like the scholarly books that I researched have seeds of this kind of thinking and that's what I access in order to kind of have a different kind of vision a, a vision different from colonialism for example so yeah yeah excellent and I, again like I don't understand the concept of authenticity um you know who I mean who can claim authenticity right yeah. like, especially for a place like India that is so politically charged with who came first and you know like it's so ancient um, so I don't get into those politics, uh, but I avoid it by, you know, trying to find moments of solidarity. So, yeah. And how did you decide? So again, I've been I've been living in Cyprus and trying to think about writing about Cyprus, but this the history there, the political history there in particular, is so complex, and yet it's so much part of the water. Um, how did you decide what to include and what not to include in order for the reader to? to understand all the nuances of everything that your characters were dealing with. Oh, me? For an, yeah, for an American readership that is yeah. in general highly ignorant about any place outside of the United States. I think I did struggle a lot for many years with this question, and I think you might be familiar with some of those struggles. Um, so, I mean, my topic was uh, partition, and yet it was kind of like, how much complexity do I show? How much nuance do I show? I, it ended up looking very nuanced at one point. So I did have to decide which uh, which threads were contributing directly and which just were not. Um, I had to cut out a whole section of um, the novel. <laughs> I had to write it three times. Yeah. I think you just kind of end up uh, experimenting and seeing what relates more directly than doesn't. And um, I think you find books that kind of, feel familiar or seem familiar to your theme and for me that book was Pachinko um, mm -hmm. so yeah reading books similar to mine kind of helped me see you know 
like for example, not going into a completely different decade and relating it, forcing it to relate to to the forties, for example. Um, so you make mistakes and you kind of figure it out as you go. I think it's important too, like to to resist writing a travelogue. And I, you know, I always want to put all the research I did into it. <laughs> the standard, you know, I'm like, but I did all this research on tortoises. That surely needs to be in the book. Um, <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, yeah. One of the two things that I always do is, that, you know, like what, what, like what is the minimum the reader needs to know to understand how the character is reacting, right? So I want to make sure that it's always focused on character. Um, and that anything that is not necessary for us to understand the motivation or actions of the character does not need to be in the novel. Um, you can get a, you know, I, I save it for speaking gigs when I talk about like tortoise reproduction yeah. stuff, which everyone loves. Um, the other thing that too, that we haven't talked about in terms of place is that um, for me, it's very important that place be a sort of minor character in the book in the sense that place is acting as an agent upon the characters and characters are are acting specifically or thinking a specific way because of the place. Mm -hmm. And if the place isn't doing that, then it doesn't actually like, you don't, not every novel has to be about place, but if you're going to have a place that is specific and unusual, then that needs to be doing its work, right? Mm -hmm. It can't just be for like a cool background. It has right. to be, uh, you know, right. acting Absolutely. upon the characters. Mm. And inhabiting the bodies of the characters in that place and how how free they feel in that place in terms of um, how they dress, um, how how easily they can interact with each other, how easily, you know, I, I find that that is something that people miss, that kind of sense of freedom in the body, because that can be very limited to um, a lot of people. And it's something to be sensitive to think about. Um, one of our uh, listeners says, does your novel actually even need to be have a fair worldview? Doesn't it need a worldview that's true to your characters, even one that's warped and twisted? Either one of you to answer that. I, I think I think author needs to have a fair worldview and a nuanced worldview. Absolutely not. Your character does not. And I think distinction, though it's hard to parse when you're writing, I think um, that um, you know, absolutely. I was I wrote another book about Oklahoma because because why not? Um, and in it, one of the characters is very very critical of Oklahoma. But I make sure, I try to make sure anyway, that we can see around her to understand that she's she's viewing it with a with blinders on. Um, so yeah. her view is not fair and nuanced. Um, hopefully we understand that that is just one view. Yeah. And I do, I think again, you're you are looking for the balance of what are, what are the characters saying, how do they think, how does the narrative think, and the balance of what is the author trying to get across. Um, and this is is creating distance between the author, the narrator, and the character and their intentions in what they're putting on the page and, and what they're telling us. Should be, what do you think in terms of a fair world view? I mean, you might um you you might have a lot of um, readers that um, aren't particularly open to your ideas idea of India or what you're presenting? Are you worried about that when your book comes out in September? No. <laughs> Good. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, yes, that's all you need to answer. Um, Ruth Freeman in the chat has mentioned that Marlon James uh, wrote about the idea that um, writing is a form of detective work, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. No matter what, I think you are having to do research and you are representing in a way, in a way that that 
um, I, I, so I remember I wrote in Bottomland, I was writing about the German American experience kind of based on some family history of, of going through World War One, and, and I did get some pushback from it. And so mostly I got into a discussion with people. Um, and, and I just, you know, again, kind of remaining open to those discussions and continuing to talk to them about it and um, not, you know, stepping up on the author's stage and, and telling everyone else to to be quiet. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Shopi then, um, are you going to continue to write about India? Um, I, of course I will. It'll come up in uh, different ways, but my next book, I want to write about, <laughs> try to write about Boston and Cambridge and see what happens. Um, it's another, uh, it's a whole another topic of discussion, writing about, um, you know, America as an immigrant. And uh, during my MFA experience, I would get a lot of flack from uh, from my peers trying to write about America. And I don't they weren't convinced that I was doing a good job. <laughs> so, what were they saying to you? What were they saying? Um, do I have the authority to write about America? I think that was, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. So um, hopefully yeah. I've grown since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Allison, we have another question from an Allison in the chat. Um, world building, what, how did you go about world building? You talked about the flora and fauna a little bit, or at least learning about them. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I've, I've used a couple of times in a novel, it might be cheating, I don't know, is that having the point of view character be somebody who is new to the place. And so you get to sort of, you get to learn about the place with them. Um, and that can give you a, sort of some, some you know, you get some cheating in there in terms of uh, being able to sprinkle in those details that you want. Um, you know, I think also too, I think, and I'm gonna repeat myself, but resist huge chunks of exposition um, in terms of world building, um, you know, I, I love to wax poetic about, you know, landscape and whatever, but that needs to go away when you edit the book, <laughs> you know, um, I think that that is, um, you know, that's really important to really, really sprinkle very judiciously. It is salt. Atmosphere is salt. You want to make sure you can always salt more. You can't salt less. Right. And so in, in, in your uh, revision process, it becomes, you um, placeholders you might want placeholders there where you where you have tons of exposition and tons of your research in but always going back through through with a fine tooth comb is is something moving here um is is so hopefully if even if, if you're describing the place it should be doing um also describing characters and their interactions with a place and hopefully also introducing something that moves the story forward so any descriptions of place should be doing at least three things at once um and really test yourself on that and be hard on yourself on that okay we're gonna have to get these folks back to the writing desk um you can find our full march writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com subscribe for updates. And if you want to join our daily webinars this month, email me at 7amnovelist at substock.com. You still have a chance to do so. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can find other listeners. So Allison and Shilpi, are you going to be able to get some writing done today? Yes. I turned in my new novel to my agent yesterday. I and then spent the rest of the day thinking about other things I wanted to change. So I'm going to do that today. <laughs> it's always the way. It's always the way. Yes. 
Shofi, how about you? Uh, let's see, between napping and pumping. <laughs> yeah, Shofi has another book, which is her child. <laughs> uh, but you are dreaming, hopefully, of the next project, right? Exactly, exactly. Wonderful. All right, everybody. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. And let's get you back to your writing desk. Happy. I can't wait to read Shofi's novel. I know. It's coming out. House of Caravans coming out in September. Look for it, everyone. And thank you for joining us.